Welcome to Neocast. Join our experts each week as we discuss strategies and solutions for your businesses in managed IT, cybersecurity, government contracting, and much, much more. Sharing is caring, and we've got top-shelf advice to help you navigate today's biggest challenges. Let's get to it. Uh, welcome today, everyone, to a special episode of Neocast. We are going to be featuring a conversation with Katie Arrington and Nicole Dean. These are two powerhouses in cybersecurity, and we are so excited to welcome them to the podcast today. Thank you, Katie and Nicole, for being available for us. Not a problem. Thank yeah. you for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So because we were going to be all attending the United Women in Cyber event tomorrow, talking a little bit about women's role in cybersecurity, we would love to at least start off by just talking about your amazing careers and how you guys got here. So Katie, I think we'll probably just start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, your background and how you ended up in the CISO position for the DOD? So I'm one of those that you couldn't have in a million years back when I was in high school figure out where I would have been. My high school yearbook, I wrote that I wanted to become a lawyer, become a lobbyist, and work in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Never made it through college. I ended up getting married to my first husband in my second year in college and became a Army wife. And then spent the next, I would say, seven years redoing my education every time we deployed. Um, to a new area. So uh, 1988 through uh, 1996, I took accounting 101 six times. Wow. Did it Yes. So I kept trying to go for a degree, but back then we didn't have uh, online universities and you had to go through all this exception of credits. Fast forward, um, just got involved, created my own woman-owned small business, uh, very much an entrepreneurial spirit, and then actually got introduced to Booz Allen Hamilton. And at the same time that happened, uh, there was a pretty big force, I would say catalyst in my life, not force, a catalyst. Um, my first husband, who is a dear, dear friend of mine, was blown out of the turret of a Humvee in Iraq. Oh, wow. And the data comms, the communication in the Humvee was the challenge point. They never heard him say halt. And at that same time, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, I believe that everybody has a purpose in life. Um, my destiny hit my purpose at the same time. And it was that I needed to do something to make it better. So I became deeply immersed in um, networking, cyber, um, anything to do with that. And my career has led in that direction. I've worked at a large business in cyber capability. I've worked as a service-disabled veteran-owned, a non-traditional that wanted to do work with the government, and I've owned my own. And then Leading into that, I lived in South Carolina, still do, but uh, geo bachelorette in D.C. right now. And while I was in South Carolina, it became a very uh, big force about cyber, and we had the breach of 2012. Right. Um, that pushed me into a place to become a legislator, to actually write the policy around why cyber was important and how impactful it is in your life. So I did that, was very successful in that, and then I ran for Congress on a cyber platform. And um, I won the primary. I lost in the general. But the DOD picked me up um, actually while I was campaigning and said, we really would like you to come and change the culture of cyber within the department. And I took the opportunity and here I eat. 
Well, that's awesome. So exciting to hear. So we'll dive into that a little bit in, in yeah. a minute, but I'd love to hear now, Nicole, can you tell us a little bit about your unconventional path to being a, a CISO with Accenture? Yeah, so uh, like Katie, I did not do it the traditional way. Um, uh, when I graduated high school, I actually really thought I wanted to be an actuary and that it was going to be some type of exciting, fascinating career. Um, went to college. I love that, by the way, because that's not normally what people say about actuaries, but <laughs> I love it. You know, I was 17. I, I you know, yeah. I, I quickly realized uh, going to UCLA that an actuary was not nearly as exciting <laughs> and sexy as somehow I had thought it to be. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to do something. I had just finished reading a book by Nelson DeMille called The Charm School, and mm-hmm. it was about American and Russian spies. And I happened to be walking by a recruiter station one day, and I was like, oh, I bet they can make me a spy. <laughs> Um, So I did. I walked in. Uh, The first one was actually the Marine recruiter um, who took a look at me at that time in my life. I was maybe 105 pounds. um, And I just, good old Southern boy accent said, there ain't enough of you to be a Marine. So I was like, hmm, okay, I'm, I'm not deterred. Air Force wasn't open. Navy, been on a cruise, didn't like, didn't like, didn't like the cruise. So Navy was out, walked in the army and I actually told them, I want to be a spy. I think he probably laughed his, you know, you know what off. Um, But that wrote it, Uh, you know, took the test. I ended up joining the Army. He convinced me to go into signals, intelligence, electronic warfare, which if you're not familiar with, that is all about communications interception. So how do we listen in or spy on other people's conversations, which is now the foundation for what a lot of cyber is today. That wrote my entire career. So I did eight years in the Army. Like he, uh, you know, married, divorced, remarried um, <laughs> during those eight years. Um, but uh, uh, when, I get, when I get out of the Army, I actually taught for a while, teaching computer networking and the interconnectivity um, before I went to work for the government. And then I started, I started with NASA working in IT. And that's when I started actually taking a lot of the security classes. Right. While there, I was actually the on-the-ground coordinator for the last uh, shuttle disaster from right. both an IT and IT security standpoint. Then we came back here to D.C. when my husband retired. Right. Went to DIA, was the JWICS program manager. From there to DISA, where I ran all their global internal networks, all three classification levels, and ultimately recruited to go to DHS when President Bush signed the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative to stand up cyber for Homeland and the federal executive branch right. of cyber. So people who've heard of the Einstein program, the TIC program, US CERT, NKIC, all started under my watch at uh, at Homeland, wow. and then ultimately went to, to industry, worked at Raytheon, where I served as Cyber SME, was the first global CISO for Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, and mm-hmm. now I'm with Accenture Federal Services as their CISO, as well as a member of the CMMC accreditation body. Great. Well, both of you, I mean, what wild paths and careers. And I mean, just to take it personal for a second, because we have a lot of women who will be listening to this either mid-career, beginning of their career, uh, making different decisions about how to go for the next promotion and making their path. Personally, both of you are mothers, both of you have husbands who worked. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how you all managed to keep your careers on track in an ever-changing industry and uh, maintain family and sanity and everything else? Wow, that's a, 
that's a huge one. So I have to giggle on this, Nicole, which really is funny, is that through all of this, I like, you know, education was key for my two children. Like my husband and uh, first husband and I, that's one thing we all agreed on. The kids were going to go to college. He was enlisted 27 years, still is 11 Bravo for the U.S. Army. And, you know, being a military family, you know, generally their dad was always deployed. I mean, he was part of the 10th Mountain Division in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, constantly deployed. You do have to give. I mean, I'll be blunt that you can't have it all and you need to make priorities. And I'll say that in my, you know, the first segment of my career, I worked. I, I always have worked. I ran a daycare in my home when I couldn't. I had a son with, who had some special needs um, before he went to school, and I ran a daycare out of my home. I had to be the primary parent, and you make sacrifices, you know, but you don't bring children into this world and think that it's going to be a luxury cruise. That's, right. you know, that's the reality. Later in life, you know, the the decisions, you know, when, when my partner, Doug, the, their father was home, it was a lot easier, but I missed a lot. I'm not going to try and pretend I was super mom. And I look at my kids and thank God, knock on wood, everybody is healthy and intact. But I made choices right. that probably I, I the the me at, you know, 49 years old, look back. And if I could tell that 26 year old me something like, listen, staying late and getting that report in doesn't change anything. Your kids do. Oddly, though, Nicole, my daughter is 35 Sierra for the U.S. Army. There you go. Went through, right, which is a lot of what Nicole went to, into the Army to do. But her decision, three and a half years at college and came home at Christmas and just said, Mom, I'm joining the Army. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can, the, the road, you know, with your children and, and how you lead your life, you, you know, just know that our job as mothers, as women, as, you know, matriarchs is to ensure that, that the next generation, I don't care which gender your child is, that you instill in them self-confidence that nothing is handed to you in this lifetime, that you have to make your own destiny and that you have to respect yourself first and everyone else. And if those are the things that we can do as, as women to make the next generation more um, hireable, more employable, more, more, it's, that's absolutely what we need to do. I I wouldn't, you know, I, I say that, you know, making it as a parent, the big mistake I made with both of my kids was, you know, beating in about the education piece when, you know, I needed to respect them as individuals and, and let them lead their lives with direction, of course. But, you know, um, I, I don't know that I, you know, I've made my mistakes. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Haven't we all? What about you, Nicole? You and I were talking about this before. Yeah, so, I mean, I get I, I get to agree with Katie. Well, one fun fact, I'm married to a dog as well. Um, <laughs> oh, hey! <laughs> this will be fun. Yeah, um, but not to say I did it all right either, because by the time I was 29, I had been married, divorced, remarried, and had four children. Yeah. So, Look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like Katie, I mean, decisions were made. I mean, I, you know, we couldn't make the whole dual family thing work, and it's why I did eight years. But my husband's retired military, and you know, I, I was the the sole parent, like Katie. Right. I mean, he was gone. I mean, if you look at my youngest, he left three weeks after she was born, and didn't come home for 12, 12 14 months right. later. Right. You know, she didn't yep. even know who the heck he was. Right. You know, so there were choices that I made career wise. So if if you look like 
like, you know, when I got out of the Army, one of the reasons I taught is because my husband was deployed. So it was a part-time job. It kept me active. It kept me engaged. It kept my mind going. But it also gave me the freedom to be around mm-hmm. with my kids, make sure everybody was taken care of. You know, you cannot have it all. She's absolutely right. right. And we've had to make, you know, my husband and I have actually, like, made decisions. Like, well, he was still in the Army. I held back on everything I wanted to do because... Right. Our kids needed to be raised. The kids needed shape. You know, they needed that parental guidance that has to mm-hmm. be there. When he finally retired, he said, I'm not going to try and climb the food chain anymore. Mm-hmm. Did it? I'm, right. I'm good. It's all you. And so, you know, we switch roles. And that's really when you look at when my career kind of took off is when we made that swap right. in our lives. And, you know, I've been fortunate while I was doing that. I did go back. I got two bachelors and a master's. So I went back, I got my education. And then I've been fortunate that he enabled me to do that. I mean, I made SES by the time I was 35 and only a year younger than Katie. I'm 48 and I'm about to be a first time grandma. Right. That's exciting. I've got four of those. Those, Nicole, those are the best. Just so you know, for the grandchildren, you would have had 20 kids. I'm just telling you. Sorry. (laughs) I diverged on the podcast. That's totally makes sense. I mean, but that's, that's the the challenge point for women, right? We we, but it's not that to say that men don't make trade offs too, right? Okay. It's it's we all do, and at the end of the day, everybody's got to make trade offs. That's what life is, you know. You make the um, someone once told me, um, Bobby Harrell down in in South Carolina. He goes, Katie, always make the next right best decision, right? Because you're all going to have to have a trade off at some point to get to where you want to go. But that's part of leadership. That's part of, you know, understanding and taking all of the factors into making a decision and making the best decision you have based on what you have in front of you. And you have to be prioritized. Um, for, you know, I Nicole's career is, and by the way, I'm a huge fan of Nicole. If anybody listening to the podcast isn't, you're crazy. If you, if you haven't researched her, but she is... Um, uh, she is a, a force of nature in her own right. Um, but you look at that and there's none of us as women, we put this thing on, you know, if we're in the cyber field, right, that people think that, A, because you're a woman in the cyber field, that you don't care about anything else other than cyber. I mean, I, I say women are more prone to be effective in the cyber arena because we come from a multitude of experiences coming at it. I mean, nothing is for women. It's, you know, you, you we used to have home ec and we were put into this category, you know, that in school. Now the, the, the card is wide open. And I say almost a disadvantage for young men that, you know, they, they're somewhat still pigeonholed in an area where women, we were, you know, I say the shackles are released, but we're open. We have this capability to look at the 360 far different than, than others because our entire brain structure has been wide that way. I mean, I think cyber for women is such a direct link to what we're capable of because we see how the interconnectivity goes. Right. Well, and I think what's um, interesting to also note for all of those uh, women that might be listening and, and as a fellow midlifer here at 46, I can agree with this. You know, when we look at our career paths, you guys are still going strong. You're in those executive positions. And sometimes I think um, almost women have believe that they need to get to that C-level job quicker, faster at 32, 33. You see the young 
kids coming through and they're and they're they're rising through the ranks quickly. And here's to show that like having the patience in your career to go and take the right steps at the right time for your family and then for your career, you'll still end up in in the catbird seat, if you will, you know, in a, in a wonderful position to still affect change in the industry and hold great careers uh, to, to come. Well, and that comes down to the choices you want to make right. at the time. I mean, you know, we said it before, you can't have it all, you know, right. I mean, you can have it all eventually, but patience is a virtue and, and taking your time to know when is it right to learn certain things. Patience, is, patience is a virtue. You know, having a family changes your decision right. criteria and where you go. You know, I, I didn't personally mean to have four kids by the time right. I was 29, right. but I did. But you did. And so then, you know, you have to rethink what your decision criteria is. You know, it's using that military, you know, analogy. You, you know, you want to take that hill. I do want to take that hill. It may take me a little, you know, I may have to twist and turn to get to that hill. Right. But the hill is always in my mind, you know, sure. that, that that's my objective. I am going to take that hill. You know, how quickly I do it, you know, the path to get there, that depends. And right. that that is the choices that you, you make in life to get there. And, right. and you prioritize what is important to you, you know. Right. I, I enjoyed being around when my husband was deployed and being, you know, being with my right. kids. I wouldn't change that, you know, for the world. And I'm fortunate enough that I also married a man that was, you know, good enough to say, hey, you go have your career. I know you've always wanted it. I will step back and I will take care of the kids and you, you know, go charge that hill. So I would love to ask both of you just for those that are listening again to talk a little bit about how did you keep yourself engaged and current in in learning? Uh, Because this is an industry that over the last 20 years arguably has changed a lot. I know, Nicole, we were talking before we started recording about how a lot of things haven't changed, but there has been a complexity added through internet, through different devices, and through all the new technology that's been introduced. But how would you advise younger women to think through uh, when they do need to step out or step back a little bit, how they keep themselves sharp in, in the areas that they're excited about? So I'm a big proponent of, um, believe it or not, podcasts. I, in the morning when I get ready, I am an avid listener of podcasts. It, that or a book on tape. But in my morning routine, that's what I'm doing while I'm getting ready. I'm listening. And I, I think that's the thing that we forget in that middle management side because you're, you're trained, right, in middle management to be a leader to get ahead, right? You've got to make these strategic decisions. And I would say the best leaders we've ever had are really great at keeping a strategic vision but surrounding themselves with really good people that that's leadership and being able to compromise to get to where you're going. But I can't say enough for quiet time for yourself, even if you are, you know, off on maternity leave, right. And you're home and you're, you're, you're engaged with this little tiny life that you've created and you have that time, listen to what others are saying. You know, we, we miss that sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to stay engaged is to go to easily accessible resources, podcasts, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to read and do 10 other things at once. If you're driving, you're, you know, sitting on the metro, it's a really great opportunity to really educate yourself and listen to what's going on. Second thing is online courses. I can't tell you enough how many, I still take online courses. I'm probably taking one course every semester for my whole life because the more you learn, but you know, I'm a grandma, so I have more time, um, you know, to, to devote to that. But I would say that's the first thing I would do is podcast books on tape put yourself into a listening mode when you when you can be to learn yeah i'm with katie i was going to say it's continuous education and that does not mean going to college for continuous education there's all different ways to keep yourselves informed you know podcasts 
I, I'm an avid reader, so for me, I like to just read. So I am always reading the latest and greatest on what's happening in the cyber world. And I'm also about like online courses. There are so many free like cyber courses that you can take out there to keep your skill set sharp. Mm-hmm. And there's so many fields in cyber. So what do you want to learn? You know, I mean, I tend to be, I, I, I'm technical. I mean, I did teach and I like the hands-on. So I like to keep like some of that skill set. But I mean, I love taking even some of the, the you know, private courses with respect to cyber and some of the legal courses because it gives you a different perspective and a different mindset also just stay focused in the one little place you like keep your skill set broadened and you know find your way of learning that works for you to keep yourself engaged in what's happening in the world awesome to take that a little bit to talk about the workforce and the future um, how are you seeing things are changing where would you like to see it go and you know both of you are in executive positions where you are a lot of the times making the decision about new hires, potentially interviewing a lot of folks. What are you seeing out there as far as the talent pool? What would you like to see more of and where do you think it's going in the future? So, Nicole, why don't you start and I'll finish up. That works. Um, So, I mean, we all know there is still a great need for the cyber workforce. There's just not enough people out there. And to me, I mean, this has been one of like my pet peeves in the educational system in America is we're not making it exciting enough to people at a young age that they actually even know it's a career. You really don't know it's a career. Maybe if you're in a high school with a STEM program, but generally not till college. And I think instead of teaching kids French or German, some foreign language, that teaching coding should be the foreign language that you learn in school. And if we're teaching kids technology at a much younger age, it's going to expand them and make them realize that this is the workforce you can go into and that there is actually a career in this. We've got to change that perception that, you know, working in the cyber field means you're sitting in your mother's basement eating pizza and candy bars for the rest of your life. I mean, that it's, it's a true field. You can have a real career and a meaningful career with a very healthy salary working in the cyber field. And there's just not enough knowledge out there. I mean, you know, I I spoke at every single one of my kids' college events about the career field and the questions I got afterwards, people are like, never even heard of this. We're not going to change this dearth that we have in the workforce until we start at the at the ground roots and make people aware that this is something that they can go into. I, I mean, I want to hear kids not say, "I want to be, you know, a policeman, a fireman." I want to hear them, "I want to be in cybersecurity." Right. That's the that's the mindset that we need to change. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to second that, and actually, the legislator I pushed for uh, legislation where um, coding should be taught in pre-K and kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And if you think back of how we learn, the reason we learn to read and write first is so that we can understand how to use that technology for us instead of having it used against us. So Nicole and I, same mindset. Like if we don't teach children coding early on, this is the way that they learn now. They need to understand how that was created. So that's point one. Where I think for me as a hiring practice, and it's probably anti-mass resume, but I really, I I don't like when they do keyword searches and they give me, you know, a batch of resumes to look at. I want to look at all the resumes because I'm not something that would ever bubble up, right? Right, right? I have no degree. My experience would, you know, so immediately that first thing, you know, you need to have a four year degree. Well, I have the, you know, the course load to have become a doctorate, right? But So that to me is problematic, right? We've cut a huge part out of the cyber workforce because we're not willing to think outside the box. Technical schools, 
you know, we need to do more on that. I think that we have a huge opportunity to influence the future of the cyber workforce if we make some key changes right now. Going back and having people graduate high school with a form of cyber accrediting or certification so that they could start into careers because financially college doesn't make sense for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not, if the return on investment, you don't see it in cyber, you know, that may be something you think that, you know, to Nicole's, you know, you're sitting in the basement coding in the dark. That's not what cyber is. And how do you change that? You know, I think doing more in the secondary uh, and primary education, hugely, when it comes to the workforce that we have available right now, there's something happening and it's happening across the nation. And it's things like, and I, I, this is not a political discussion, this is a fact. The making a federal minimum wage and raising it did something. And when you go into McDonald's now, and I, I'm sorry on the podcast, I did use the, the name, but they have a screen where you order. Right. They've taken out that service person, that, that employee. They've, they've filled it with a computer. We need to work at finding those people and say, we need you. Right. Here are some, here's courses you can take. These are things. I mean, I'm, uh, we're on, Nicole, thankfully, is on the accreditation body board. But the CMMC, one of the things that we hope is the offset of that is bringing in a whole new crop you know, of candidates who want to become these auditors and teaching them in, in two to three months how they can look at cyber and security and critical thinking and get them engaged in the workforce. And hopefully a lot of young entrepreneurs will come into that. But I mean, we have to start at basics and say that, you know, there's a break in generations. You know, we're going through that right now. The cyber workforce, we are all at a deficit. Um, don't, as I said earlier, everything has a purpose and a flow. There's, there's never coincidence. So I think that, you know, things like raising the, the federal minimum wage and, you know, some service, you know, you go to, um, what's the hotel that doesn't have human beings? Um, oh, Yotel. Yotel. Yotel, right? They took out the whole front desk. Those people are who we need to get to and say, you have value. Come over here. It's, it's really in your wheelhouse. You just don't realize it and get more educational programs, technical schools. And I think that large businesses as well as small businesses, internships, right? Do right. more on the internship capability because you can turn that into a career. Yeah, I, I get to agree. I mean, the one point I want is like the technical skill and the trade skill. Yeah. I mean, that's gone away in this country. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is a field that it can actually like work in. And I would love to see that brought back because I, I don't need a four-year degree to write the next best application right. or to figure out how somebody like broke in. I need technical chops right. is what I need. And, you know, we have lost that in this country that if college is not the path for you, what trade can you go take? Right. And this is this is, this is a trade yeah. and it, it should be brought back. Yeah. Well, so one question I have for you is helping people wrap their heads around some of the key skills attributes, I guess, that I would call it that you would encourage people to think about. So if, um, you know, a lot of times when we used to, when we were kids and people would give us the toys to the Legos and everything, you know, people would be like, oh, if your child has good motor skills or dexterity, then, you know, try to funnel them into a way where they can work with their hands and build small robotics and things like that. Are there certain skill sets that you would say, A, are really relevant to the work in cybersecurity and B, uh, given that we're talking about women in cybersecurity, that women may even be, more 
you know, prone to having a real strength in that area? And how can we encourage people to think about their skill sets, even the soft skills that they might have? We talked about multitasking, for instance, before, but. Oh, I think that that, you know, when I, when I look at young girls specifically, you know, um, and I raise both. So I've been, I'm a boy mommy and a girl mommy. And I know just how I raise my kids. It was, you know, I did, I, I'm first one to say, like, I raised them completely different. I expected way more out of my daughter in certain areas than I ever would my son, that propensity. Why I think for women that the, the innate nature of being a woman and that mindset is you do take from different areas. I mean, that soft skill of being able to see that 360, how our brain works is differently. I mean, it literally is physiologically different than a man's, which doesn't mean his are better or less um, important than ours. It just means it's different. So we do have a different way of thinking. Um, it's been a scientifically proven fact. We think differently. It's how do you, those soft skills in that are, are things that I think we need to harness and grow and cultivate. I mean, I think that's the, the prefaces of it is that awesomeness that you have critically in there. Then the second part is critical thinking. I think that that is to solve a problem. I think we have a generational gap. Um, we're all in our 40s on this phone. We all learned how to critically think, how to problem solve because we went to, um, you know, we were all in high school. You went to the library to do a book report. You had to think critically about how you had to set up your time to do it. You had to validate your resources by looking at right. the copyright of the encyclopedia. We were taught critical thinking, right? Yeah. Our kids kind of miss that because the the magic stones what i call it the you know your iphone your your that source of all knowledge came up and they don't have as much critical thinking skills and that's one of the things when i see somebody with critical thinking i will jump all over them that's that to me is if i have uh, the person the individual is far more impactful to me than the certification i agree i'm not i've raised both boys and girls as well and I, i'm wholeheartedly with with what katie is saying i mean i think the only other one I would add is curiosity. Mm -hmm. You have to actually have some like type of interest and puzzle solving skills because mm -hmm. a lot of times that's what cyber is. It's, right. it's solving a puzzle. And if you're willing to say, hmm, let me see how piece A fits to piece B and not everybody is into that type of thinking, that makes you a good candidate for this right. for this field right. is, you know, having that that curiosity and that that ability to say, let me take this piece with this piece and oh look, it all it all fits together. And to me, that's that's I'm with Katie. Like I, I don't I'm, resumes really don't mean anything. It's all right. about if I talk to you and I can tell in like two seconds if you're going to be good, bad or indifferent. And I don't really care what the resume says. Right. Some of the best people I've ever met in cyber don't have a degree in cyber. Right. You know, they have a degree yep. in history or right. they have no degree. So it's that they have that right, that mindset, the critical thinking, the curiosity, the ability, you know, to solve puzzles. Those all come together and you have somebody that tends to excel in the cyber field. Right. I was, there was actually an article in the Wall Street Journal today. I was just looking up the title of it, New Intelligence on How the Female Brain Works. And it talked about how specifically our brain is better wired for multitasking and more creative thought uh, and pulling different resources together at the same time. So women out there who are listening, like this is this is something where in our wheelhouse is, is already sort of pre 
destined, I guess, that we could potentially have more capacity for that type of thinking uh, and puzzle solving and things, which also staves off Alzheimer's. So great. There you it's go. It's a double whammy, right? <laughs> join, <laughs> join cyber. Go join cyber. You won't become, yeah, you won't get dementia. You know, I do not claim that to be a medical claim. Let's just be clear for everybody listening. <laughs> but it, it it really is interesting. And I think it's, it's good for you all to help frame that for people because I don't know how many children or even adults or young adults are thinking about what their aptitudes are versus what they think they might like. I I know, for instance, when I was 24, I went and had my aptitudes tested and it opened my world completely. And I wish I had done it when I was 15 or 13, because just even knowing what you had an aptitude for, you might realize there's a whole other field you could be going into. You just hadn't been exposed to it and you hadn't known how to apply the aptitudes that you have. So I strongly encourage everyone to think through those aptitudes that you might have. And the puzzle solving is a great hint there. Like if you you have children who love doing that, start seeing signs. Um, And and also if you've loved doing it, you know, keep going. Well, so talking about how the workforce transitioning into, how have you seen your roles change and or the industry change? Has it been wildly different than from when you started? What are some of the advances that you're going to see coming forward? Obviously, this might lead us into a discussion around CMMC, uh, because that seems to be the major force that's driving a lot of cybersecurity discussions these days. But how would you all have uh, described the progression of the industry? So it didn't exist when we were in school. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> when I was I think, in high there was nothing. Cyber. When Al Gore invented the internet back, right. you know, back in <laughs> the day, none of us, you know, none of us really knew. I mean, it's the, the cyber um, field changes by the hour, right? You know, it's. And where it'll be in five years from now is nowhere near where it is right now. I mean, let's think about it. Then in 1999, we really started getting our real first flip phone, right? That was like 99 to 2000. We we started really getting our cell phones. And here we are in 2020. And we have, you know, when Steve Jobs got on the stage, and I remember the black turtleneck, the jeans, and him showing up with the first iPod and saying you can put 14,000 songs on this little teeny tiny thing. And I was like, that man's crazy. Um, So I don't, you know, where it's changing as every day, but I will say that when I first started, you know, 15 years ago, in this, when I walked into a room, I always felt like I was the only one. I would say that the, as far as you know, being a woman um, coming in, there, there weren't a tremendous amount. I've watched the numbers grow. Um, we're still not where we need to be. I mean, I'm, you know, we're both Nicole and I both are in are in leadership positions um, in the Department of Defense. I think it's a, a statement. Um, we have Miss Ellen Lord, um, who's in charge of all of the acquisition and sustainment throughout the entire Department of Defense. The chief management office is led by a woman, Lisa Hirschman. I mean, we have some amazing uh, female leaders, you know, the secretary of the Air Force. I mean, you look at where women are today. I would just say that it's it's definitely changing. It's changed and it's only going forward. I mean, I just the more and more times I got to speak, it's I'm seeing more and more women in the audience. And what really makes me excited is when I see young women and them getting inspired. You know, somebody put on. On, um, a LinkedIn, a girl named Allison, who worked an aeronautic manufacturer, said that listening to a podcast by me actually got her engaged to become a cyber, you know, geek. I love that, right. and I think that when we we go out and we 
what it will be is you need people who are energetic about it. Nicole and I, I don't think there are two more. I mean, we're both forces of nature when it comes to this. It's getting people excited and engaged. I think that the the community, you know, as far as population of women is only going to get better. So uh, I wholeheartedly agree with Katie. I mean, it's kind of funny that if you think, you know, uh, when when we were in high school, there was no such thing as cybersecurity. Right. So, um, yeah. so that's how the field has changed. Right. Okay. It didn't exist. It does exist. But, you know, I'll take it a little bit different path. I mean, I think the problem is that since when it came, when it came into being, the challenges we had when it started are still many of the same challenges that we have today. And doing security is hard. And the fact that, you know, we keep rolling out more and more technology means that there are more and more avenues for attackers to take advantage of. I, I don't think we're doing, we're not doing enough to design security in, in the first place. There's not enough on, you know, technology producers out there to say, you know, have you tested for security? Have you looked at the privacy concerns around this device? So they're just throwing it out there. And, you know, then all of a sudden we in the cyber field have to go clean it up after something Mm -hmm. happens or the general public who has no idea is taken advantage of. And we haven't made it easy to do. So, I mean, you look at like patching. Patching has been around since day one, uh, since cyber came about. And it is still a super hard thing to do. Why? Yep. Patching breaks stuff. You know, so you look at the fact that from when the time a new vulnerability comes out to the average time for weaponization is less than seven days now. So we know a vulnerability, it's weaponized seven days. And, you know, depending, I mean, you know, they say, I say 30 to 90 days. Poneman did a study and they said 102 days is the average time to deploy a patch. There were over 1,200 vulnerabilities and patches released last year alone. 12,000, excuse me, 12,000. That's more than 33 a day. And it's taking us this long. And seven. We've got to figure out how to close right. that gap. And as we keep throwing more technology out there, all you're doing is opening and opening and opening that gap. So somehow we've got to... We've got to change the paradigm that exists today and shrink that front so that those of us on the defending side have more of a defense against the bad guys that exist out there. Yeah. I feel like that could open up a lot of people's minds, again, just in a way of looking at cybersecurity, careers in cybersecurity, looking at uh, careers in technology, period. Because if we're all honest, to your point, Katie, seeing Steve Jobs come out with the iPod, I mean, people thought that was sexy and cool. So everyone went into coding for apps. They went into coding for video games. They they want to go work for the coolest new device that's coming out and everything. But to your point, we're forgetting about the entire other side of the industry that needs to make sure then we're all kept safe, that things are safeguarded. And uh, if we're not pulling enough talent over to those areas to realize how much we need there, um, and also just the jobs they would create, because there is a need is what I'm hearing from you is there's a definite need for more talent in those spaces to develop better ways for us to manage this. Um, Oh, and it definitely, I mean, that's part of the the whole problem we have. And, you know, I'm in the DOD, right? And our biggest challenge is, you know, the patching, you know, with a Windows 10 patch, how long is the system down for? How long does the the patch take to do it? Who's going to do the patch? I mean, this is, we just have such big existential problems Mm -hmm. because cyber is so new. Like when we started to design weapon systems 20 years ago, because Think about how much we have built on top of those archaic structures, architecture. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
we still have things that are worth using cobalt for the love of Pete and Pagoda. And for anybody on the phone that doesn't know what cobalt is, you should go back and Google it and you will be shocked that we have to figure out. And, and that's why this, you know, this problem solving set is a lot, you know, the critical thinking and, and why you want to find people that have that capability is we have problems that are really hard to solve that generally aren't sexy. If you were to look at it, you know, fixing a problem in a weapon system that's been around for 20 years, but because we've built new applications on top of it, but the source still needs work, we've got to show that that really is, you know, a sexy thing. When you're able to solve a big problem like that with the resources that you've been given, those are, I mean, amazing opportunities right now. I mean, huge. Truly to affect change. For, mm-hmm. for my edification, because I'm not in this industry, can you all just for a quick second, maybe break it down for me and others listening? What are some of the key areas within cybersecurity? I hear the term cybersecurity thrown around a lot, but when someone think, when's thinking about a professional career in this area, are there buckets of roles within that whole world that people should be thinking through? Oh, there's multiple domains. Right. There's yeah, multiple right. domains in cyber. That's that's actually what you know what makes it such like an interesting career field because you can find a niche for yourself anything in cyber. Right. I mean, there's the whole legal side of cyber. I mean, you know, cyber law. You know, so you could be a lawyer and be in cyber and specialize mm-hmm. in cyber. You have the whole policy side of cyber. You have a compliance side of cyber. The auditing side of cyber. You have the technical side of cyber. And, you know, technical can be, you know, am I you know, the, the person that has to defend against the attacker or am, am I the person that is unwinding what the attacker actually launched in my network and, you know, trying to reverse engineer it? So, I mean, that's the one I for me that I love about the cyber field is that there's something for everybody in this in this mm-hmm. field set. Yeah. I could totally concur. I mean, you wouldn't think, you know, coming in and marketing and development in cyber. It's a big thing. Like, how do you, how illustrators in cyber, think about that, right? How does a cyber illustrator take what you can't technically see and put it into, this is what I'm thinking through and create a diagram to show how it actually works, right? It's, there's so much to us, um, you know, software assurance, um, risk mitigation, you know, it, there's, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, there's, there's nothing that isn't in cyber, but I will tell you two of the biggest pushes we have right now are, and Nicole hit them right on the thing, cyber law. Right. Cannot express cyber law. And the other one in really is back to Nicole is actuaries, right? Mm-hmm. So the next big thing that comes out, right, is we, it's a $7 billion industry today. I think it's going to grow to about 30 billion within the next two to three years. And that's cybersecurity insurance. Mm-hmm. And you, it's, you know, how do you, what is it? Why do you have it? You know, people that are currently in the insurance industry that may not think that like, you know, oh, I work in healthcare insurance. Well, there's a lot of similarity in that into where that's going. I mean, it's just wide open. But I think that cyber law and cyber insurance are two burgeoning fields we haven't even like scratched the surface of. Right. And for all those women who are listening and out there who are lawyers or in insurance, this is your opportunity to think about how do you transfer those skills into an industry that really needs you these days. So that's good yep. to know for people. Uh, now, t- let, just to pivot really quickly in the last 10 minutes that we have here um, to the CMMC, because from what, what I understand, that is going to open up actually quite a lot of positions, specifically in the auditing space. Can you talk a little bit about if that's the only way to look at a lot of the employment opportunities that are going to come out of this or job creation that's going to come out of this? But what do people need to be thinking through in getting into the, the auditing space for the cybersecurity 
So the CMMC, for those people that are listening who have never heard of it, is the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Um, I liken myself to be the mommy of it, um, the mother of the CMMCs. It's something that um, I started in the Department of Defense and have created a model with an amazing team of people that actually what they created was how we put critical thinking into cybersecurity for businesses and how we ensure that the company, the small business is set up, um, that they've got the right mindset, the critical thinking around cybersecurity to not only protect uh, the national defense, but themselves. I mean, that's more importantly, the the maturity of the CMMC um, is one through five. And we are going to implement this for all of the DOD contractors. So there's about 300,000 of them in the country, companies. Um, And then it'll move through to the the federal side and internationally. Everyone needs to go. uh, Their companies need to get a third-party audit. That is what Nicole is actually in charge of um, on the board. She sits as one of the board members for the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Accreditation Body, which are all volunteers. So, Nicole, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And their job is going to be to get the right education, training, and curriculum um, set up so people can come and get certified to become an auditor of it. So it's a huge industry boom. I mean, it's creating an entire um, career field for many, many young women and men to get in and actually become an auditor. And there's a whole litany to it, but it's um, it ranges from 17 basic cyber hygiene I would say capabilities, controls, and maturity level goes up until uh, level five, which is the very exquisite uh, cyber security that, you know, we use on our most critical technologies. Nicole, do you have anything to add to that? No, I I mean, I will say to go to her workforce question, I think you're going to see the workforce grow with companies now, you know, now that we're standardizing a baseline set of controls that everybody has to have, they're going to need the workforce to implement those controls. You're going to need the auditors to verify that those controls are implemented. And then the other place where I think you're going to see either workforce or solutions being developed is through managed security providers. So, you know, Mm. especially when you look at the small and the medium businesses that aren't going to be able to have the internal workforce to do this is looking at how those providers, they can buy these things as a service and meet the baseline controls that have been set through the CMMC. So I think those are kind of the the three big areas where you're going to see, you know, growth happening due to, uh, and I don't mean minimal, you're going to see a lot of growth happening because like Katie said, I mean, this is not just going to ultimately affect just DOD procurements. I mean, this is going to be used, you know, throughout the, throughout the federal government, potentially internationally. And I will even tie it back to the cyber insurance. I mean, what I see happening is that's one of the challenges that cyber insurance companies have is how do I, you know, what level do I set? How do I determine the CMMC I potentially predict will be a a methodology that uh, insurers can use to figure out where a company sits and Mm -hmm. so what their cyber insurance should actually be. Right. So I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah. No. So, I mean, that sounds like a ton of job creation, but the right type of job creation to keep our country safe, to keep our businesses safe, to keep our municipalities safe is that we're going to um, have all new fields of people who need to come in, not only the new 
organizations and individuals who might become auditors, um, which is exciting to know that you're setting up a whole curriculum and, and way for people to find more out, out about that particular career path, but also for groups like Neosystems, who is hosting this podcast, that is uh, managed services for small and medium-sized businesses that can really continue to take advantage of the breadth of business that's available to them, so long as they're being um, smart about how they're keeping their systems secure. So. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I could talk for hours about it. Is there anything that you guys would love to just share with our audience um, in the lane of women in cyber and CMMC before we sign off? I'd love to have you guys each have your your last word, if you will. First, let me just say thank you guys for having me today. I really have enjoyed this conversation. And I would would love to, to leave women with the thought that this really is a career field. It is an actual sexy and fun and exciting career field. And as hopefully you learn through listening to me and Katie, you can also actually have both in this career field, a family and a career. Um, So you don't have to sacrifice necessarily one for the other. You can have both. And, you know, if you have any questions, any doubts, I'm not going to throw my personal email out there, but feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And I would be happy to talk to any woman that is thinking about making this a career field and, you know, provide some insight uh, in any way, shape or form. Great. Katie. And I want, it's like Nicole and the Katie, you know, like we concur. Um, <laughs> we, it's of the same mind. If you're a Sagittarius, get game on. Um, so the only thing that I would say to that, right, and everything Nicole said is spot on. There is no glass ceiling. There is only what you are are afraid to go after. If, you know, fear is, it's, it's, the, the biggest, I would say, detriment to a human is the fear. Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself and reach for the stars. That's the only way you're ever going to get anything in this life and not to be afraid of failure. I have fallen way more than I've gotten up. So true. And I have fallen on the national stage. Like I ran for U.S. Congress and failed. Nothing that doesn't stop your heart from beating should stop your soul from growing. And I I cannot express to women enough on this. If you're sitting home and listening to this and you don't think you can, or you think that there's an obstacle in your way, put those in a box. Deal with them as they come. Don't try and boil the ocean piece by piece, but know your value. And everyone listening to this has an intrinsic value that you were created to do that, that you have a destiny to fulfill and never, never, never doubt that. I love it. I concur. Yeah, I concur. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. I agree. I always say, well, I mean, if it's not going to stop my heart, if I'm not going to stop breathing, is there really a huge risk here? You know, like failure. Amen. It's funny. I'm actually looking at my planner and there's a Thomas Edison quote that just says many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success. Yeah, uh, which very I think true. is very, very, very true. true. Yep. Well, thank you both so much for being with us. I just want to be a reminder the United Women in Cyber event is canceled for tomorrow. We, we all are dealing with coronavirus hysteria for, for good reason and for frustrating reasons, uh, but it will be rescheduled. I think we're looking to a June date and we um, welcome the opportunity and are excited about the opportunity to get it, you both back together again in person to speak to the young women and, and um, women of all ages in cyber. And thank you so much for being a part of this discussion today. Really appreciate your time. The Neosystems Difference. We specialize in serving organizations of all sizes. In today's fiercely competitive market, is your organization constantly searching for ways to gain the advantage over competitors? 
Smart organizations are paying more attention to their strategic back office operations. Neosystems offers scalable back office services and solutions to improve your organization with a team of industry experts, industry-leading information technology tools, and an advanced technical infrastructure. From software hosting and security solutions to managed accounting services, Neosystems will custom-build solutions and services that are tailored to fit your organization's needs. Check us out on the internet at neosystemscorp.com. That's neosystemscorp.com.